But I wanted to uh, just ask you a question this morning. What is the greatest gift you have ever received in your life, all right? I want you to think for a second, back on Christmas and birthdays and, and all these different, what is the greatest gift you have ever received from somebody in your life? Okay, you get, you're thinking about it, somebody yell a couple of them out. What's the greatest gift you've ever received? A television, that's pretty good. Oh, celebration? Salvation, that's nothing like television. That's... I'll clean this one later. That's fine. All right, salvation. What's something else you've been given as a gift? Your wife. Okay, what else? Grandchildren. Great-grandchildren. They're even better than grandchildren, right? Anything else? What's something else you've been given that you're just so thankful for? Wow, that's great. I wish my wife was in. Last week, she was all amen and on my other stuff. Like, she's had her chance today, but it's gone. We get a lot of great gifts, but can we just like get to the center of what makes all of them good? It's the love from the person behind it that gave it to us. That's, that's what makes every gift good. That's what makes them enjoyable. Uh, you know, I, I have to admit, every year around like Christmas or my wife's birthday, I, I, I like plan a, a great gift, right? And I'll buy it and I'll be like, this is, she's going to absolutely love this. And then as it gets closer, I'm just like, Oh my goodness, what if she doesn't like this vacuum? What if, what if she wanted the cordless instead of the, the plug-in one? It, it's not something I'm very good at, but it's the thought that counts, right? Don't we? No? Whoa. I'll just preach to this side over here. Pray for them. They're in... <laughs> You know, uh, Valentine's Day, I, you know, when, when uh, roses are $80 uh, a dozen, uh, I tell my wife, I saw roses and I thought of you, but I did not buy them. And to which she appreciates because she'd be very upset with me if I spent $80 on a dozen roses. So it is, you know, there are these great gifts that we look at, uh, but I really want us to look at what does it mean to give a gift to God? What does it mean for us in our lives to give a gift to God. And, and what I want to focus on the next several weeks is the idea of the first fruits of our lives. Giving God the best parts of ourselves, a hearty gift from ourselves to him that blesses him. And, and understanding that when we do that, it moves the heart of God. How many of you would say, I want to know how to move the heart of God? Nobody. Okay, good. I want to know. We want to know how to move the heart of God. We want to know how to bless God because he's been such a blessing to us and the many things that he's done for us. And, and so I wanted to take this time this morning uh, to just dive in to start looking throughout scripture. What does it look like to give a gift? Now, how many of you in here would consider yourself to be wealthy? A couple of you, right? Do you consider yourself wealthy because you've just got so much money in the bank or because you have so many great things in your life? It's the things, right? It's the people, right? We're wealthy because of great relationships. Maybe you have a great relationship with your spouse or your children, your parents or grandparents. You know, you look at the wealth of the things around you, not so much as in dollars and cents, but the wealth of the many blessings that surround you every single day. And so it is with that in mind, I wanted to look at Proverbs 3, 9, just real quickly, in which we're challenged to honor the Lord with your wealth. 
Honor the Lord with what makes you wealthy and with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Listen, what he's saying here, and and again, I know that when we get into the idea of first fruits, we're always quick to jump on this idea. Well, we're talking about money. We're talking about money. There are so many things that we give to God that are beyond money. Now, yeah, sure, money is something that we give back to God, but I I want to focus on so many of these other areas, this wealth in our lives, this wealth in our hearts that we're so grateful for. How can we use that to give it back to God and to bless Him and to honor Him? So I wanted to start in one of the very first places in Scripture where we see the idea of giving a gift to God. Now, right after creation, everybody knows that creation was Adam and Eve, Right? Yes, I just want to revisit that. So at creation, God makes Adam and Eve. They're created in his image. Well, then Adam and Eve start having kids. And they had a son named Cain and another son named Abel. So their boys grow up. And this is what we're going to read about them here in Genesis 4, verses 2 through 7. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. I remember as a kid in, in uh, children's church, how many of you went to children's church as a kid? How many of you sang deep and wide, deep and wide? I mean, I remember this in the church basement, right? Growing up as a kid and it'd be like sister so-and-so had like this big tablet paper with the words on it and she'd flip the page over so we knew what to read and so it would start and be like this big d and she's pointing at it like deep and wide deep and then she'd flip it over and it would go wide and deep well and we're like our minds were blown wow amazing technology i don't know why i said all that it's just having a flashback but you know it is awesome to look at a lot of those things and to realize in those moments that we were learning something awesome. And I remember learning at that point in my life that Cain and Abel came to give a gift to God. And I remember being in junior church, kids' church, and and we had to color a picture. And the picture was Abel with this spotless, beautiful lamb that he was giving to God. And the other part of the picture was Cain who was giving like some moldy apples to God. And I remember learning at that point in my life, I was like, wow, Cain gave moldy apples. This is not exactly what the verses are saying here. In fact, what it's really pointing to, there are two words that are in these first couple verses here that I really want us to focus on this morning. It tells us that Cain brought some of his harvest while Abel brought the best of his harvest. I want us to think about those two words because in contrast, they're incredibly different, right? If I bring some of something, means I had an abundance and I just brought a little bit of it. But if I bring the best of something, I have looked through everything that I have and I have combed out what I consider to be the absolute best part of it and I brought it to someone as a gift. So we, we see the difference, right? And so this kind of plays into the many facets of our own lives. Like, you know, one of the areas that I think a lot of is worship. I don't know about you, I love worship. 
I love to worship. I'm so grateful for our worship team and all of the effort that they put into having our, uh, a great worship service for us every single week. I love singing and worshiping God. But can, can we just be honest that on any Sunday, there are a number of attitudes that are present within ourselves or within the room. Number one, there's the group that goes, oh man, are we singing songs again? How many songs are we going to sing? How many times are we going to sing these same words over and over again? Do we have to sing? Or there are some people that's like, well, service starts at 11, but usually they sing until 11.30. Let's get there at like 11.25. We don't want to do the whole singing thing. Then there are people in the room who are like, I just love the singing part. I wish we could sing the whole time. I wish we could sing this song and this song, and I love these songs and that song, and I wouldn't even care if the pastor even preached. Let's just sing songs the whole time. Y'all should meet each other sometime. It's a lot of fun. I get to meet both of you. It's, it's wonderful. Here's the thing, though. In the midst of worship comes the question, am I bringing God some of my worship, or am I bringing God the best of my worship? Am I bringing God some songs, some lyrics, some tunes, or am I bringing God the best of myself through surrendering my heart? Because the reality is in everything that we do, you can go through the motions of doing what everybody else is doing. You know, and we've become really good at this, I think, in the American church, uh, in what we call a worship service. Uh, really great book out there that I would recommend to you. I can't remember the name of the author, author, but it's seven Hebrew words that will change the way you worship. I believe it's Chris Tomlin that wrote it. But there are phrases in the ancient Hebrew and the way that they describe worship that are so vastly different from the way that we worship today. But to us, worship is, let's play this song. Let's sing this song. Let's revisit this chorus. If we want to get really crazy, and I mean, we used to do this, let's do a key change. Now the Lord is coming. All right? Now, instead of a key change, we do an octave change, right? So we start with, and we go to, we're just singing for the Lord. But that's when Jesus comes, right? Oh, that hurt. It hurt you too? Wow. You guys are being really rude this morning. We're going to have to go over the ground rules of what's acceptable to say during the sermon. But here's the thing. We can go through the motions of singing a hundred songs and never move the heart of God. We could sing one song that comes from our hearts and heaven itself would come down in the room. I don't know if you've ever experienced a service like that before. I have. Heaven itself just enters the room and God inhabits the praises. And it's just the spirit of God is palpable. The big difference is the exact same thing that we look at in what was going on with Cain and Abel. If we were looking at it in terms of what we do today in modern church, I'm giving some of my worship. I'm giving some of my finances. I'm giving some of my time. I'm giving some of my talent. But Cain was rejected because he wasn't giving the best parts of himself. Whereas Abel said, I, I want to give God the best that I have to offer. I want to bless the heart of God. 
And so in these same verses, we can look at this again, just verses 4 here, 4 through 7. It says that the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. Doesn't it just almost seem unfair? Like it almost feels unfair. Like, God, why would you reject Cain? This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. And God said, why are you so angry? Why, don't, why do you look so dejected? Here, here's the, the key part here. You will be accepted if you do what is right. It would change everything if you did what is right. Now, again, let's back up here because there's this idea, and I know a lot of expositors and commentators have gone on to say, well, maybe the problem was that, that Cain brought some moldy apples, right? Or, or maybe it was that he didn't make sure it was like the best of what he had. He just gave a little something. But the reality is that we see in these next couple verses that God is saying, Cain, I see something on display that really concerns me, and it's your heart. I'm looking at your heart. And so with that in mind, I want to ask you, like, what, what is the gift that we give God? When we, when we take time every single Sunday and we talk about giving back to the Lord, is it your dollars and cents that you're giving to the Lord? When you couldn't outrun Pastor Tyler and he got you to volunteer for another thing, <laughs> is it your time that you're giving? Or is it something else? When you come into worship and maybe you sing quietly because you say, I have a terrible voice. No one would want to hear me. Is it your song that you're giving? No, in every single one of those, what we're really giving to the Lord is our hearts. God, I'm giving to you because I love you. I'm serving you because I love you. I'm serving your people because I love you. I'm singing to you because I love you. It's not about whether I'm a good singer or a bad singer. It's not whether or not I can keep a beat or clap on beat or play an instrument. It's not whether I'm the best kids outreach person that's ever lived. It doesn't matter if I have the most money. Listen, understanding that going through the motions of things, it is incredibly possible for us to do something without ever having our heart in it. And God speaks to this repeatedly. In fact, I have a bunch of them here that I wrote down this week as I was kind of preparing. But in 1 Samuel 16, 7, God tells Samuel when he's going to anoint the next king, he says, I, you look at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. Proverbs 4, 23, we're reminded to guard our hearts because it's the wellspring of life. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10 says that the heart is wicked and God rejects wicked hearts but accepts a good heart. Matthew 6, 21 says your heart will follow wherever you, whatever you treasure. Psalm 51.10 gives us the essence of renewal found in a clean heart. And Romans 12.1 says that God wants us to surrender ourselves sacrificially, our hearts, our lives. God's time and time again asking, where is your heart? In fact, when Jesus preaches this incredible sermon on the mount, he looks at everybody gathered around him and he says to them, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. But I tell you that if you look at someone and you hate them, you are guilty of murder. You've heard it say, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at another person lustfully, you are guilty of adultery. What's he speaking of? He's talking about the heart. He's saying to them and to us, it is completely possible to go through the motions and still not surrender your heart to Jesus. You could know every worship song there is. You could know all the lyrics. You are so holy, you don't even have to look at the screen. You know when to clap, when not to clap. 
You know that if you raise your hands during a key change, that's when the Lord's coming. You know all these things. You give 26% of your income to the Lord. Praise Jesus. You volunteer several hours a week. You can do all of these things. All of them. You can do every single one of them and just be a Cain who's presenting your offering time and time again while God's saying, listen, I'm more concerned with your heart than the thing that you're offering me. I'm looking at the heart of the issue. I'm looking at you on the inside and I'm not asking you to give me something that you didn't desire to give me as worship from your heart to me. What is the gift? The gift is our hearts. You know, I can give God $5 from my heart and say, Lord, I just want you to have this. I was going to go to uh, Starbucks and only buy half of a drink with this $5. But instead, God, I wanted you to have this. I'm going to give up that drink so that you can have it. That's a heartfelt gift. Or I could be like, hey, you know, my great uncle just, you know, he, I just inherited 50 grand. So God, you know, here's 50 bucks for you. Worship. I can be in my car driving down the road with hands raised, knees on the wheel. It's fine. Eyes mostly open. Or I can be in a worship service. Do you see that's possible time and time again to go through the motions? And this is what Cain was doing in this moment where he was giving. His brother was giving. He was giving. They were doing the exact same thing, but something was different in their hearts. And you can't replicate what's in the heart. You look at what somebody else gets, right? Well, so-and-so got this incredible blessing. I heard what they did is they, they fasted and prayed for two days and then they went to this place and they worshiped and then they prayed. And so we tell ourselves, I'm going to do that exact same thing because I want a blessing. I'm going to fast for two days and I'm going to pray and I'm going to go to this specific place. But you cannot replicate the heart. And it is the heart that God is looking for, what he's looking at. And so he tells him, if you do what's right, you'll be accepted. But then he says this in verse 7. But if you refuse to do what is right, if you refuse to surrender your heart to me, if you refuse to make this about real worship, if you refuse to give me what, you tr- what is truly mine, then watch out. Because sin is crouching at your door, eager to control you. You must subdue it and be its master. What is he saying? If I don't get a hold of your heart, you are in dangerous trouble. You are in dangerous trouble. We read this even in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. It says, stay alert, watch out for the great, your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Listen, our hearts are under attack. Our true worship is under attack. Our surrender is under attack. Our gifts to God, they're under attack. We read in Scripture, this is the very thing that God says, this is what Satan is coming after in God's people. I'm coming after hearts. I want to make hearts hard. I want to harden hearts. In fact, we read this when you see in uh, Egypt, when the uh, tribes of Israel were there and they're all living there and God sends Moses, set my people free. We read time and time again, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And because of a hard heart, this happened. We read in scripture, because of a hard heart, this happened and this happened and this happened. Our hearts are under attack. Church, we've got to be vigilant. And this is exactly what God was reminding Cain of in this moment. 
You know, Jesus, when he was with his disciples, he was telling them that at the end of all things, there's going to be a moment where everybody comes to him for judgment. And he says that in that moment, there are going to be people who come up to me and they say, Lord, in your name, we prophesied. In your name, we healed people. In your name, we volunteered for summer blast. In your name, I tithed every week. In your name, I went to worship services at least three times a month for most of my life. In your name, I did... And and, and so this moment plays out and Jesus says, here's the unfortunate thing that's going to happen in this moment. He says, I'm going to have to look at some of them. And I'm going to have to say, depart from me because I never knew you. What does that mean? He's saying, I never had your heart. You mastered going through the motions. You mastered religion. You mastered Christianity. But you never actually came to me. It's just this terrifying thing that you read in Scripture. Now, we don't have to fear it because the reality is knowledge changes the way we pursue God. From a biblical standpoint, from Cain all the way to that moment, God says, I want your heart. I want your heart. I don't want you to bring it. In fact, he says this to Israel repeatedly and throughout Jeremiah and Isaiah. He says, I'm so sick of your offerings. Keep your bulls and rams. Don't, I don't want them anymore because there's nothing behind it. You just keep offering sacrifices and you don't actually love me. He remarks of Israel. He says, with their mouths they praise me. But their hearts are far from me. Church, the Bible points out to us this incredible, disparaging thought. That it is totally possible for us to go through the motions and never truly surrender our hearts to God. And that was why Cain was rejected. That's why Cain was filled with hatred. That's why Abel died. And that's why God had to warn him and say, listen, son, daughter, for as long as I don't have your heart, you are in danger. Surrender to me. So church, though I know our hearts are under attack, I also know what it says in Psalm 51, 17. David said, a repentant heart you will not despise. A surrendered heart you will not despise. That is what he called for. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for loving us and for being so patient with us. God, for using your word to teach us the difference between giving you some of ourselves and the best of ourselves. The difference between going through the motions and surrendering our hearts to you in true worship, true love, true giving, true service. And God, I pray that you would just begin to challenge every one of us in this room that you are not after our gift, 
You are not after our possessions. You are not after our things, our time, our talents, our resources. You're not after these things. You are after our hearts. And that God, once you truly have a hold of our heart, giving of our time means nothing. Giving back to you from our resources, the ways in which you have blessed us, it means nothing. It's so small. For as long as we remain hard-hearted, God, these things escape us. And so God, I pray for softened hearts in this room. I pray that you would use this moment, God, to show your people just how much you love them and how much you desire relationship with them.